Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Look, elections are about choices. Eight Republican candidates for president square off at Pfizer Forum. When it comes to the White House, it will take an outsider. None of them named Trump. I think people are looking for calm, thoughtful, uh, confident leadership. As the former president sits out the first debate of the 2024 election. I think a lot of people thought it was just going to be a big, dull debate. His rivals mix it up in Milwaukee. Six Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I am here with Open Record's executive producer, Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Brian. And we have Fox 6 political reporter, Jason Kelby, here as well. Thanks, hey there. Jason. Thanks. And we are welcoming to the podcast today Marquette Law School uh, pollster and uh, political expert aficionado, uh, Charles Franklin. Charles, thank you so much for joining us here on Open Record. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Happy to do it. So, we were the day after the debate at Pfizer Forum. Eight Republican presidential candidates take the stage. None of them named Donald Trump. What are your immediate takeaways from what happened on Wednesday night? Without Trump there, I think this was the race for who's the new number two, or maybe it's the old number two. Uh, so I think the competition last night was who could stand out. In terms of minutes and focus, I think that was Ramaswamy, who pretty clearly was the center of an awful lot of attention, both from the moderators and from other candidates, and putting his own points out there. Um, Ron DeSantis, who has been slipping in the polls, needed to resurrect his campaign and give it a new direction. I think last night he wasn't ignored by any means, but he, I'm not sure that he had the standout performance that will get attention. One thing to watch for is in the next two weeks of polling, let's see if DeSantis's numbers stop falling and start back up. If so, he had a good night. If Ramaswamy rises sharply and, and maintains that rise, then he had a great night. I also think Pence and Haley had good nights, but the rest less so. You know, it's interesting because there's, Jason, you were in an area of the building called the spin room, and, and whenever there's a debate, who won, who lost, who did well, who didn't, is so much a matter of interpretation that that's where the spin all comes from. And and I wonder, you were hearing from candidates that were coming in to that room and giving their own take on that. Uh, what were you hearing in terms of what people were saying? Who won the debate? Who did well? Who didn't? Well, I can tell you Vivek said uh, that he won. He he uh, said, yeah, I, I clearly won. And uh, he was ready to take uh, take the win there. Um, that's the spin room. The candidates go in there. Their surrogates, their, their supporters, their official representatives are in there as well speaking. And they always spin all the things that the candidate needed to do. They did successfully. You know, like, for example, I talked to former Arkansas Governor Hutchinson. Uh, you know, he said, well, my my goal on that stage was just to introduce myself to the American people. And I did that. I was on that stage. And hey, there was other candidates. They didn't make it on the stage. So I, I, I made my goal 
of what I needed to do at that debate. I asked him who were the winners and losers, and he wasn't real willing to name names, but he uh, he said there were several winners and several losers. You know, I think Vivek Ramaswamy, whose name we've already said multiple times just so far in this podcast, is a name most people didn't know of very mm -hmm. long ago. He was polling at zero percent. He gets into the race at zero, and and now he's he's rising. Certainly nowhere near uh, uh, President Trump, and, and nowhere near uh, even Ron DeSantis at this point in terms of numbers. But Charles. He was the one right there at the center of the stage with uh, former Governor DeSantis or Governor DeSantis. And, and also he is the one who got attacked the most by yeah. the others. What does that say about sort of where the other candidates see him in terms of the fact that they kind of piled onto Vivek? When you get that much attention from the other candidates, it's almost certainly because they see you as a threat. And I think their attention to him, their criticism of him on some questions, uh, really represented the the concern of the other candidates that uh, Ramaswamy could become the next clear second place candidate behind Trump. I think, I think there's the other side that when your opponent is losing, don't interrupt him. And so the lack of attention to Ron DeSantis, I think, was a sign that the other campaigns think DeSantis is on the way down. And therefore, they didn't want to elevate him by attacking him or asking questions or pushing things. Now, again, this is all, you know, less than 24 hours after the debate. Lots comes after this. But that's my take from last night. Dude, one of the names that people were kind of wondering how he was going to perform was Tim Scott. Um, and I know some of the questions that are being asked is if he made an impression on people and if, if that's going to factor in moving forward and will he make it to the next debate next month in terms of the number of questions and the amount of time he got scott did not make much of an impression he was down in the bottom tier of amount of time devoted to him and in most of the sort of consensus day after coverage i i haven't seen anybody saying that scott really rose to the occasion scott's campaign is partly premised on the idea that he can do well in Iowa, and that will help him launch. Um, that may still be true, but he's got to get to Iowa in the first place. He has a lot of money, so I think that part is okay. But in the next debate at the end of September, you have to be up to 3% in the polls and getting uh, a bit more money than you had this time. I think Scott's probably going to make that 3% pretty easily. He's been polling at five or 6% recently. Um, but if you see a real surge for other candidates, uh, maybe including Haley, for example, uh, you could see the party coalesce behind people that leave Scott a bit out in the cold. I wonder if that has something to do with his current job occupation. He is a United States senator. They are, you know, there's decorum on the Senate floor. They they wait to speak in, in the turn that it's their time to speak and they give long speeches. So I wonder if maybe that's particularly why he maybe didn't do as well on that debate stage last night, because he comes from the senator's perspective and some of these other candidates are governors, they're, they're leading states. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know what was going on with his performance last night, but he, uh, he, he was maybe more respectful of waiting for his turn than some of the other candidates, uh, including Mike Pence, who continually was shot down by the moderators because he mm -hmm. talked over or he was talking longer than he was supposed to or talked when he wasn't called on or even when uh, the other candidates were bringing stuff up as well.
Yeah, Pence was much more aggressive than honestly I expected him to be, but he's he's been in debates before, so maybe he had some experience there, but he, I thought he used that effectively to put himself in the center of the conversation. We can, again, find out in a few weeks whether that's really helped him or not. With Tim Scott, I think part of the problem is his strategic position is trying to seem like the, or being the reasonable candidate talking about issues. Let's not devolve into this back and forth. And he actually used a line like that last night. But on the presidential debate stage, that strategy can be pretty uh, challenging when nobody else, or at least few other people, are playing by those same rules. I know members of his team, his team have stepped up and said, though, that that's part of his long game. He's got the money. He thinks he can hang around. He thinks he'll be there till the end, or at least in the late stages. So can he afford to say, I'm going to take an approach that is, I'm the reasonable guy. I'm not the Donald Trump character you're familiar with. And, and, and knowing that he's got the money to hang around, could that be more of a long-term strategy that maybe doesn't stand out in a debate, but could pay off down the road? Theoretically, it could. And let's remember that there are two levels of this campaign. There's the national campaign, uh, which the audience tuning in last night was part of that national campaign and the national polling. But there's a very important second campaign that takes place in the states and especially the early states, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. Um, those early states can be incredibly important for launching a candidate if they can get to those states. And I do think that Scott's apparent campaign where he's focusing a lot of attention on Iowa is partly premised on that idea that he could appeal in those state places, even if he's not the dominant national player. Now, whether you can pull that off, that remains to be seen. But I do think that's a potential strategy for him. And looking at those fund rate, we, we've all talked about the numbers in the bank uh, for, for Senator Scott and just looking at the numbers here. Uh, $21 million in the bank with, with this uh, report here uh, that we have. Um, and I know you pulled the numbers here. Yeah, that, I mean, that's second only yeah, to Donald yeah. Trump so, in, in the race right now as, as far as money that's still mm -hmm. on hand. Right. Um, so he's obviously in a strong position there. And I think that really contrasts with uh, Vice President Pence, who – uh, former Vice President Pence, who, while he was jumping in and probably more assertive than I think maybe a lot of people expected him to be, more confrontational than maybe uh, his reputation would 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 uh, make you expect, he's way down that list of fundraising. Right? I don't know what the numbers are. Are you here, uh, have right yeah. there? But it was, uh, yeah, he's got, you know raised about or has about a million dollars in the bank by comparison. I mean, that's a paltry number, and I think a lot of people have looked at it and said it's very disappointing fundraising. Was he able to do enough to maybe boost that? And is that a really key for him to stick around in this race? You know, Pence was late getting on the debate stage precisely because he had to reach the 40,000 donor requirement. And he only did it in the last week or so before the, before the debate. So I do think he has a problem. What we see in the polls for Pence is about half of Republicans like him, but about half of Republicans don't like him. And so there's a real division in the party over him and over his actions on January 6th. Um, and I think that there's a challenge for him in, as he said last night, talking about the positive achievements of the Trump-Pence administration, as he put it. But at the same time, that's the guy he's running against. 
how does he deal with that? And I think he's been tentative in figuring out how to do that. One of the things, and maybe we just piggyback off that because I have another question, but maybe I'll hold on to that. So talking about the Pence and Trump, Donald Trump was not there last night. Um, He did, however, sit down with Tucker Carlson, and that interview was posted on X, um, former Twitter, and it was a 45-minute sit-down interview. And if anyone had watched that, uh, whether they watched it last night or maybe caught up this morning, um, he definitely talked about why he wasn't on the debate stage. So do you think that that in turn then helped Donald Trump? Did it, I mean, he obviously is ranking, you know, polling high. It's a mixed bag. I think if he had been there, perhaps the attacks would have been stronger. Christie especially might have flourished in having Trump on the stage to go head to head with. Um, And Trump wasn't there to rebut things. On the other hand, I think this Twitter stream that he did with, with Tucker Carlson almost surely reaches a smaller audience than the TV audience, though it may have more legs in the retweets, if we can still use that term, um, than it than it did in, in the real time. Um, I, I do think showing up can matter even for a front runner, or should I say failing to show up can matter. Let's see whether Trump suffers at all in the coming days in in support within the party. And when you look at that support in the party, I think your polling, uh, Professor Franklin has shown, I think, what, 70% of Republicans support? Can, can you give us some of that recent polling that you've done? Yeah, this is important math to keep in mind, because this is a contest within the Republican Party right now, not a contest for the general election yet. Um, Donald Trump is seen favorably by 70% of Republicans in both our Wisconsin polling and our national polling. 30% of Republicans see him unfavorably, and almost none of those are voting for him. But he's only getting about 50% or 55% first choice votes. So that means the gap between 70% favorable and 55% of the vote He's losing 15% of people who think well of him, view him favorably, but are still picking someone else out. If that someone else could somehow coalesce all of the 30% that don't like Trump plus the 15% that are considering someone else, Trump would still have a 55-45 lead. At that point, the alternative candidate has got to find a way to convince those folks that like Trump to nevertheless consider a new face, an alternative. Trump had his time and it's time to move on. That's got to be the task of the second place candidate. Well, and a lot, an awful lot can happen between now and November of 2024. So if you get into a 10 point race, there's things that can happen right now. Those numbers seem so staggeringly different that a lot of people look at it and say, no one stands a chance against Donald Trump. But when I look at the person who got all the attention on the stage yesterday, Vivek Ramaswamy, he's pro-Trump. He said Donald Trump was the best president of the 21st century. He was the first one to raise his hand and say, I would support him if he was the eventual nominee. So if Ramaswamy becomes the sort of second place favorite, you essentially have a pro-Trump second placer. What kind of differentiation is there between him and uh, former President Trump? 
other than maybe you. Sorry. <laughs> I think that's the huge, huge trouble for anybody in this position. You saw DeSantis, at least early, early in the campaign, and even last night, being reluctant to criticize Trump. You've seen Mike Pence being reluctant to criticize Trump, though recently he's talked more openly about January 6th. I think the problem here is if a solid majority of the party likes Trump, you can try to convince those people not to like Donald Trump, or you can try to convince them to keep liking Trump, but look for a new alternative, a new face, somebody that can hold the presidency for two terms. I've heard all of these things mentioned in focus groups of Republicans, for example. But it's a big leap to go to from liking Trump and considering an alternative. That's, I think, the best strategy. And that's where Ramaswamy, I think, was last night pretty clearly. Whether you can pull it off, though, that's a big, big problem. And the question, I guess, is were they just trying out auditioning last night to be vice presidential nominee for President Trump? That's certainly a possibility, though. You might ask Mike Pence about that experience. Well, I, I can't imagine that Chris Christie expects to be the uh, running mate for Donald Trump at this yeah. point, um, unless they have a, a, a sudden interest in UFOs. No, that was the, that was the question. But anyway, uh, I, I leave that aside. I, I, you know, I was watching the debate from above, uh, kind of up in the sort of upper level of the arena last night. And, and where we were, you couldn't hear the uh, audio of the candidates or the moderators whenever the crowd would react mm-hmm. because the, the audio mix, the crowd overwhelmed. And so I I've actually been able to go back and watch some of those things that really stood out. And you, talk, you think about the attacks that uh, some of the candidates were making on on Vivek. I mean, there was, you know, uh, uh, Chris Christie who called him chat GPT. Yeah. And, and you had, uh, you know, Nikki Haley saying you have no foreign policy experience and it shows. And of course, uh, uh, Mike Pence uh, went back and forth with him a number of times. But when you uh, when you add in that crowd reaction, how did that impact the way the candidates spoken and maybe sort of how this debate is received? Yeah, I think this is one of those eternal questions. It's a really interesting one about what's the experience in the room with the debate versus what's the experience as seen on television for us. And I've also heard complaints in the room about the audio quality and having trouble hearing. Um, I think that from what I hear from people who were in the room that the audience reaction they thought was much more vigorous and involved. And I'm not sure that came over as much on television. Whether the candidates picked that up and thrived on it, I'm not sure. Uh, Certainly Chris Christie got booed a good bit, but hey, he enjoys that sort of thing. Um, Talking about Ramaswamy again, um, and we kind of touched on it a little bit in his performance. And at the beginning of this podcast, you had mentioned, you know, maybe the way that that the other candidates were kind of attacking him, so to speak, maybe they see him as a threat. Um, Do you think that part of that, though, is pointing out some of his inexperience, some of, you know, his youth and just life experiences from not being in the White House or having any other sort of um, stuff that he has done to this point. What about the younger voters? Do they see him as someone who they can more relate to as opposed to someone who might be a little older? Well, I think, uh, you know, somebody in their 30s is different than somebody in their 70s. And so there's certainly a difference there. Um, 
I think the, and maybe there is some relatability issue there, but it's also the fresh face. Uh, we've had Donald Trump on the scene since 2015, and many Republicans love him, but quite a few are tired and looking for alternatives. And then there is that youngest cohort of voters who may still remember the Trump administration, but maybe didn't get as caught up in it as uh, folks a little bit older in their late 20s, for example. So I do think there's that. There is the broader generational change argument. On the Democratic side, it looks like there won't be much of an alternative to Joe Biden. So that age factor is built in. But Donald Trump's only a little bit younger than Joe Biden. Other Republicans might start to push that argument. I wonder, you know, just looking back historically, if if age is ever an issue, you know, we saw that brought up the inexperience, the rookie comments uh, brought up yesterday in the debate and just wondering, you know, we look back on former Senator Barack Obama when he was running for president, he was got some of these same challenges that he was too young to an experience. He didn't have the experience to be president, yet he won twice and by landslides, especially here in Wisconsin. Just wondering if if the age issue could really be a problem with voters or maybe they're willing to look past that? Well, we certainly see on the Democratic side, Democrats saying, I like Joe Biden. In fact, they like him a lot, but they're concerned about the age issue. Um, you know, it's gone both ways. Barack Obama could run as a young guy for change, and that really worked for him. Ronald Reagan, way back when, was going to be one of the oldest, if not the oldest at the time, president, and that was an issue for him, but he overcame that and overcame it again in his second election bid in, in uh, 1984. So I think age is something that people think about and worry about. I think with Ramaswamy, as with other newcomers to national politics, there's a pretty steep learning curve about issues that you haven't been dealing with day in and day out for years. And how you learn about them, how you articulate a position on them, and how consistent you can be on those issues, that's a challenge for every newcomer to politics. Some overcome that challenge, some don't. I Watching the Donald Trump interview with Tucker Carlson released on X, formerly Twitter, you saw a lot of the sort of old school, I think, Donald Trump, the insults, you know, crooked Joe Biden. And uh, he, he talked about, uh, you know, the, the savage animals uh, of the left. And, and I think he called uh, Chris Christie a lunatic. And a lot of the things that we're used to hearing from President Trump, honestly, we didn't hear those a lot of those kinds of insults on the stage. And I almost wonder if before the second debate, is there at a certain point at which Donald Trump is just too tempted to get in there and hurl these insults in person? Or does he look at this strategically and say, let's look at how things worked after the first one. If I'm still okay, what's the point? I, why get involved? I think Donald Trump has always been willing to change his tactics depending on the circumstances of the moment. So as we get close to that second debate in late September, I think Trump will absolutely reassess whether that worked out well for him, whether he thinks he's missed opportunities, whether he thinks, hey, he has a chance to go into that debate and really thrash the rest of the field. Or are there big risks in going on the debate stage for him? Um, but I think Trump is not committed to any one strategy. I think he's very much a tactician ready to move with the circumstances.
And he likes, I mean, he does thrive on being a center of attention and he'll get that attention today. Um, but, but he, but so, you know, he did back in 2015, he did sign this, the, the, the pledge to support the G, uh, the GOP nominee, but then he reneged on that later when he was asked a question, will he support, he didn't raise his hand up during one of the debates. So that's a sticking point. It seems like he doesn't want to sign that, but then his, his surrogate said, well, yeah, he would support the nominee because he's going to be the nominee. So I'm just I'm just wondering if that's going to be a sticking point to get him back on that stage uh, the next go around in a month. Uh, you know, I don't think Donald Trump is very worried about a signature on something like that. Even last night, we saw a show of hands about whether you'd support Trump if he were the nominee. I think it may have been and convicted. Uh, but all but one people raised their hand, though. Christie raised just a finger and... Uh, DeSantis was said to be slow to raise his hand. Uh, I, I, I just think that Donald Trump has never been dedicated to the fate of the Republican Party. He's threatened the party from time to time with a, an independent run if he doesn't get the nomination. Um, he's demanded that the party do things to support him in ways that often the party does do anyway, but sometimes thinks the party doesn't do. So I don't think he's somebody devoted to the party in a way that he's likely to be moved by whether things are good or bad for the party. As I said, he's a tactician. He's concerned about things that are good or bad for Donald Trump. Obviously. And that's worked out pretty well for him. Uh, until 2020 when he lost, of course. Obviously, uh, former President Trump has done what he could to try to steal some of the air, even by without being in the room. He had the the competing interview that's released at the same time the debate starts, and of course now turning himself into the Fulton County Jail the day after the debate. Uh, but nonetheless, you had eight candidates who had time to answer questions, to make their case, to get some air time themselves. Was this, in your view, a good night for his Republican rivals to get a chance to establish themselves and, and get their message to the American people? I do think it was that opportunity. If Donald Trump had been there, first of all, the moderators would have necessarily asked a lot more questions of Trump. Trump, being Trump, would have demanded more time, would have been like Mike Pence last night, breaking in and taking control of the stage. And so I think his absence was a big bonus for all eight of the others to have more time to themselves, less distraction than they would have. The specter of Trump still hung over the debate, and there were questions about him, obviously. He's the elephant that, you know, didn't show up in the room. Uh, but I think the ultimate opportunity that gave to the other eight candidates was a big, big gift for them. And some took advantage and some didn't. Professor Franklin, I want to thank you so much for the time you spent with us. Uh, and as you always do with Fox 6 News, thank you for your insight and your expertise. And I'm sure we'll talk to you more as this campaign goes on. Thanks so much. My pleasure. You guys uh, have all watched the debate. You were there in the spin room. Um, really, is there anything that, that sort of sticks out from you? I mean, it, the thing that really stands out to me is this was in Milwaukee. Right. And there was hardly any discussion in Milwaukee. Yeah. And I and I did. I saw someone say, thank goodness they showed that little montage of that video at production right. at the beginning. Otherwise, no one would have known it was in Milwaukee. Yeah, so th there wasn't know. much in terms yeah. of the questioning that was right. specific to Wisconsin. The, the, the introduction was was well done, right? Mm -hmm. Presented how important this state was yeah. and, and how the last two presidential elections have been decided by 20,000 votes. That's 
less than 1% of yeah. the 3 million mm -hmm. or more people that voted. Um, and it just, it kind of captured some of the great images of Milwaukee and Wisconsin. So I think, you know, visit Milwaukee and those folks are probably happy with that montage that right. played. Yeah. There was a couple segments. They, they had some, what we call MOS, which is man on the streets. Uh, it's interviews where you go out and talk to people out, mm -hmm. maybe at, uh, maybe on the street uh, downtown or, you know, might go to MLK. You go all over the city and get various inter interviews. And they, they interviewed people about what their issues were. And they talked about inflation and the economy and things like that. Mm -hmm. So there were some montages where we heard from Milwaukee voters, yeah. Wisconsin voters. Uh, and there was one discussion as well when they were talking about violence and crime. And they talked about the, the shooting, the shootings that took place over the weekend in Milwaukee. And there was a, a question in the midst of the crime about that as well. So those were, I think, the mentions of... Yeah mentions of of wisconsin and milwaukee mm -hmm. you know we didn't really see much of and maybe it's because it's just a debate and it's not i know the convention is going to be different but there wasn't a whole lot in terms of like protest outside pfizer forum yeah um there was a little bit of stuff here and there but uh it, there, it really wasn't much and as uh, i arrived into the deer district to the sort of like block party area where you had to get in with the pass it wasn't a huge crowd. I mean, they had, you know, the the all the, the media rows set up and there were some other things going on, but it wasn't like it was a massive. Now, I'm sure it's going to be different with conventions here, sure. but I, I had wondered if we wouldn't see more organized protests mm -hmm. and things like that. There wasn't much. outside. Yeah, there were definitely. I mean, there were several, you know, protests. The union groups had one and then there was the march on the. Uh, RNC 2024 that had a, a march from Red Arrow Park to to Pfizer Forum. Um, you know, you got to say Milwaukee police handled the security. Mm -hmm. That was because they didn't know is Donald is right. former President Donald Trump going to show? That would have been very different. Up. And yeah. if he did, guess right. who guess who leads security? Right, Secret Service. Mm -hmm. They guard the former. All former presidents are guarded by Secret Service agents, not the vice president. He's no longer guarded, mm -hmm. but uh, the former vice president, actually, mm -hmm. the current vice sure. president, of course, yeah, is. Yeah. But uh, Secret Service was not there because Donald Trump was not there. So Milwaukee police was overseen. And I, I saw Milwaukee County, uh, you know, bomb squad people doing and, you know, mm -hmm. searches beforehand and stuff like that. That was all handled by the local police and their their partners here at the state level, as opposed to Secret Service, which you would see when the president was if, if the former president was actually in Pfizer form, you'd have had uh, Secret Service gar uh, going through your stuff and, and doing all. Now, that was all handled by Pfizer security as well as uh, Milwaukee police and things like that. So uh, that was a big deal for them yesterday as a test run for what we're going to see next year when it is handled by those federal partners. Do, you know, watching from the station here on television and you were there and Jason, you saw a different, even different view. Um, you know, I could hear the crowd boo or clap or laugh um, or encourage. Was it, the same kind of like did it feel bigger in there as far as well, like you know, it was the reactions really, it was interesting from my perspective kind of up above because you're getting sort of the ten thousand foot view not quite yeah. that high but um but, but but you're up above and and it was it was really interesting because um the sound mix uh, yeah. I, I think you could probably hear better watching on television than mm -hmm. we could in terms of the candidates and, and actually the moderators because their voices would be drowned out anytime the crowd had a reaction, okay. whether it was good or bad. As soon as there was a crowd reaction, it was like, well, I didn't hear the rest of that. Did you catch that? I entirely missed uh, Chris Christie uh, saying Vivek Ramaswamy was chat GPT. <laughs> I heard the reaction. I didn't hear what he said. Yeah. And, and so later on, someone was like, oh, I saw on Twitter, he called him chat GPT. Oh, yeah. There we are in the arena and we didn't hear it. So it was an interesting uh, way of observing it was to sort of hear yeah. more reaction than, but all the, I mean, you could hear most of what Were was you guys on, on like Twitter and stuff? I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, if I were in there or if I would have gone. Oh, it's constantly on uh, okay. social media. It's what, your, was yeah. everyone? Like, I, I don't know, so. you go to a basketball game so. and you like yeah. talk with your group mm -hmm. or whatever. Were you guys like 
chat because we were there with colleagues. Oh, it was, we were, were yeah, we were talking okay. with you know colleagues in in, in the suite, and there, okay. there were uh, you know uh, sales clients that were there yeah. and things like that. So we're you were talking about. It or like Absolutely. the weather I, yeah, or okay. mostly yes. I, okay. I think I think the people who were there were engaged in what was going yeah. on, and I think it is a rare opportunity to That's see so interesting uh, yeah. a, a debate among people who, and probably or I shouldn't say probably, very good chance that none of them will be the the future president, but there could be the future president sure. on that stage. And so watching that is is certainly interesting, uh, and, and having it happen in your community, I think, right. is good for Milwaukee that this is happening here. You got the convention coming here, but Jason, you had such a different view. Yeah, being in the spin room, uh, what is that like? Okay, so there's a media filing center and there's hundreds of journalists from around the country and the world that are in that s- space. That's I, a lot of tables, right? There's like a lot. Work I mean, yeah, yeah, workspaces. Yeah. There's tables in there. Lots of outlets. Pretty much. I, I, it's kind of incredible. We're watching the TV. Yeah. So we're all coming to Milwaukee to cover the debate and you're, and, you're watching. and we're sitting there at these tables packed in. I mean, yeah, packed right. in. Thankfully, they had air conditioning. So I'm not going to complain at all because Steph Grady was outside. Yeah. Fox 6 Anchor was outside in the 90. What was yeah. it? What was the max? Oh, it, it was like the heat index was like 115. <laughs> so they're outside all day. We're yeah. inside in the air conditioning. No complaints. Right. Yeah. But but you're packed in there and you're watching all of these monitors. The volume is so loud. You can hear uh, every moment of mm-hmm. what the candidates and the moderators and the crowd is is saying. So, uh, the media is in that media filing center. Journalists from around the world and country, and they're they're there to watch the debate, write up their stories, do their reporting. Right attached to the media filing center is the spin room, and that's where the candidates and their surrogates, their supporters, their official backers will come after the debate to sort of pitch. How well their candidates did, and mm-hmm. it's called the spin room because they're spinning. This was a great performance. Yep. I won. My yeah. candidate won, and and uh, things like that. Or my candidate, uh, or that candidate did terrible when terribly when maybe they were the winner of the night. So that's mm-hmm. that's the spin room, and it's all attached to this area, and uh, it's great for instant reaction and uh, maybe ask a candidate about a particular issue that they uh, stumbled over or that they maybe brought up that was mm-hmm. surprising. Uh, and there was a lot of topics. We haven't even gotten into what we topics were addressed yet. Know, you know, and, and the one that really stood out to me is sort of the most, I think, divisive and, and, and I think really interesting issues for the Republican Party was abortion, abortion because the yeah. candidates all had very different views on yep. where should we draw the line? Is it is, is it time for a 15 week ban? Mm-hmm. It did Ron DeSantis mm-hmm. stick with a six week uh, ban. Uh, Nikki Haley was the most adamant that yeah. she sees there there needs to be a consensus mm-hmm. um, within Congress that just don't have the votes to do what she thinks uh, many Republicans would like to do. So that seemed to be the most divisive issue. Mm-hmm. They certainly all agree agree on Bidenomics and, and yeah. saying it's a failure. It's it's interesting that Joe Biden has now embraced the term Bidenomics right. because yeah. they use it as a pejorative, yeah. uh, but they all agreed yeah. on that. They they tend to agree generally on, on border security and keeping fentanyl out of the country. So that right. was, I, was there any other issue that stood out to you? Yes. Yeah. I mean, so abortion, as you brought up, very clear distinctions between them as whether it should be a federal ban, a statewide ban. They, I think they all would support statewide bans, but then they kind of broke into uh, into big debates about whether the national government, the federal government mm-hmm. should get involved with this particular issue. And there was very clear, distinct differences on them regarding that particular issue. Um, Tim Scott said things like, you know, we can't, we cannot allow states like California to be deciding to uh, you know what what the abortions law law should be in that state because he said they would allow and this was a, a refrain that the candidates brought up again and again that they would have abortion legalized up until the moment of birth which what what the Republican candidates said uh, others like Doug Burgum said we should not have a federal abortion ban it's it's for the states and he brought up the Constitution and said it's really a state's rights issue to decide what's going to happen others said no it needs to be federal government as well as the states so a lot of debate on that abortion issue climate change was another one where you saw yeah. is it 
is it a hoax? That was one of that was well. Yeah. Ramaswamy yeah. derailed, or no, it was a DeSantis who just derailed that. One of them jumped in and derailed that when that question was asked. They asked, "Raise your hands if you believe climate change is real. Human caused climate change." Yeah, and I think it yeah, was DeSantis. Vivek, Vivek, who, well, Vivek, Vivek, who was jumped in yeah. and he yeah. kept anyone from having to raise their hand. Yeah. But we sort of oh oh derailed oh, so, that. No, so, they did. sorry, back back. DeSantis was the one that said, "We're not kindergartners." because yeah. they, they okay. asked the That's question, "Raise your hand if you you know." if you think uh, climate change is man-made and Ron DeSantis said, we're not kindergartners, you know, but then when there was other questions like, you know, would you support Support Trump Trump if he was convicted? And then they did have the hand raised. So I guess it goes, but, but, uh, did Chrissy raise his hand? He kind of did. Oh, he he did. Uh, It was like a, it was like a slow, but he said, said, no, but then he said, (laughs) I wasn't doing this. I was doing this. But of course, Chris Christie's whole campaign yeah. is criticizing Donald Trump and, right. and saying, but but I want to bring it back to this climate change issue because I want to clarify, you know, Santa said we're not, you know, this is a kind of kindergartners don't don't make us raise our hands. But then Vivek was the one that said climate change is a hoax. It, yeah. And then Nikki Haley said climate change is real. So there is yeah. a distinction there amongst Republicans. What is that going to mean for suburban voters in Wisconsin would be interesting. What would that mean for voters across the country on that particular issue, hot button issue? Uh, there was clear distinctions. And then also on foreign policy. I think that, that was a huge difference yeah. there. Yeah. And that really seemed to be where they, 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 Nikki Haley in particular, really railed on the inexperience of the vague mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. You, you know, it, it, you don't have experience in foreign policy know. and it shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Nikki Haley was the former was the American ambassador to the United Nations. So that is her wheelhouse, this issue of foreign policy. And I think at that point, it was an opportunity for her to really sell herself to the country and say, hey, I've got all this experience. I was, you know, an ambassador and uh, she brought a lot of those things up and and was able to attack Vivek on the issue of mm-hmm. foreign policy, as you said, and saying, you know, it's very clear that you don't have the experience here. I, what I really heard under the tones of a lot of that was differentiating these candidates as to whether are you uh, are you in Putin's corner or not mm-hmm. and 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 I think there were some suggestions there were a couple of candidates I think Vivek in particular that maybe you've been a little too kind to Vladimir Putin um but but that certainly was one that was a a a, a issue that was differenti- differentiated um several of the candidates called for an end to the department of education mm-hmm. i don't know if there was a huge differentiation among candidates yeah. on that but there were several who called yeah. for that yeah um that, that's done i again didn't hear a lot specifically about wisconsin i want to wrap up on one thing because sarah i know you watched the trump interview with um with, with uh, tucker mm-hmm. carlson and and i don't know how many people caught this because i haven't heard many people talking about it but there was almost no discussion of wisconsin in milwaukee on the stage and there's Donald Trump toward the end of that interview talking about, uh, yeah, we won Wisconsin. In fact, mm-hmm. this, I, I, this quote, he said, if you look at what went on in Wisconsin, who, by the way, now agrees with me mm-hmm. and uh, now agrees with me, mm-hmm. uh, Wisconsin has been uh, virtually, other than the fact they're not allowed to do anything statutorily, Wisconsin has been, I mean, what they found is incredible. We won Wisconsin. So he is still to this day saying he won yeah. the state of Wisconsin in 2020. Um, it seems he's not going to to back off of that uh, coming into the race here in 2024. How will that affect him if he continues to come into Wisconsin and say, we won last time. They cheated me. Right. And and so now you're going to say you, the election system couldn't be trusted, but I still need you to mm-hmm. put your trust in the election system and cast a vote for me. I mean, this issue has been litigated in courts. It's been litigated in, right. in congressional hearings as well. And now also with prosecution, we've seen prosecutors using what was stated about Wisconsin, those claims by the former president, unfounded claims and, and actually factually untrue claims about winning Wisconsin, those claims are laid out in some of these indictments against the former president. Let's just be very clear. Joe Biden won Wisconsin in 2020 by some 20,000 votes. 
And we went when when these allegations were brought up right after the election, we were there investigating and trying to figure out, is there a story here? And every single time those claims, I, I found them to be false. Right. So, so here he is. He's turning himself in today on claims that, uh, you know, accused of false claims that the election was stolen. And here he is still saying we won Wisconsin. Very, very interesting. I know this is going to be one of the longest podcast episodes ever. So I'm going to wrap it up there and say it's time for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual and have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. Do you have a UFO question for us like Chris Christie had to face? No. That was one of my favorite moments, by the way. Yeah, that was that was a great moment. Who is that? I mean. Martha Charles McCallan Franklin asked, would know. Yeah. Is that the first time we've had a UFO question <laughs> at a presidential debate? Can somebody check C-SPAN and, yeah, and find right, out? Right. I just love what that said about uh, Chris Christie's chances when he was like, I get the UFO question. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what do you have for us? Um, I have this. What is something every junk drawer must have in order to be considered a proper junk drawer? Oh, so I, think about it at your house, yeah. everyone. Scissors, tape. A the- bunch of rubber bands and those rubber bands that come around the asparagus uh-huh. things. Those things are strong, strong. as heck. And, but they don't go very far. So they're good at like around a deck of cards maybe. But yeah. they don't. there's not much gift it's to like, those. Well, how do you get so, this rubber band? But I'll say like scissors, that's a, that's a common thing. But like, oh, you um, mean the other like, things? Like what I about chapsticks? <laughs> Seven uh, chapsticks and then 14 open packs of gum. <laughs> how about old keys to things you don't even know what yeah, they go to? Yeah, or Allen wrenches. <laughs> Got a few of those. Uh, battery uh, boxes, like battery, like little small. I, actually, how about tiny screwdrivers? Little mini. Oh yeah, like, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We have a, a like nice that. set, and then like in a case, and then there's a bunch of like one-offs. So <laughs> they're all in like a zippy bag. So good <laughs> do you want to know how many old like uh, Dave and Buster's cards? <laughs> you, you Power keep up the card cards. Like, oh, we'll reload it next cool, time we go. Good. No, you never do that. <laughs> no. yeah. Um, I still have cards from Stonefire Pizza, which doesn't even exist now. Oops. <laughs> um, but I've got those in there. I don't know. Dave I, Dave probably isn't going to call on himself because I don't know if he wants to like Kale does. But is he waving? Are you waving <laughs> me that, off, Dave? Dave is, that, is, that, is, that the, uh, Mike, is that the Chris Christie? Is that the hand yeah. waver? That- <laughs> you want in or you don't want in? All right. So Dave's not going to tell us what's in his junk drawer. But we can imagine that in Dave's junk drawer, he uh, probably yeah. has... I don't know what do what do we think's in Dave's definitely junk some compact di- uh, some compact discs <laughs> oh, yeah. as well as old maybe so, maybe some old tape cassette USBs tapes? random USBs lots of yeah lots of flash drives yeah <laughs> old he- uh, headphones like oh uh, yeah are is there do any of you have like old packs of gum yeah that's what I'm saying oh yeah I, yeah I, right but yeah. my kids don't God forbid they open a pack and finish the pack but they're like 18 different flavors so there's like like Big League Chew, a bag of that that's all folded up and extra, all sorts of different flavors. So yeah, there's like eight open packs right now. Definitely like some of the old Milwaukee magazines are yeah. definitely in there just packed away. I'm going to, I'm going to look at the, you know, look at this I'll again. Look at, that look at this again later, yeah. find out where I need to go eat next. We have a whole oh. separate uh, container in the living room yeah. for the old magazines also, that we'll never read again. Man, so many unsharpened pencils. Because like, I don't know, kids are bringing them home in their little goodie bags from birthday parties. I'll just shove them in here. I bet I have 1,400 <laughs> I have these little Un-sharpened. these little tr- plastic trays from IKEA that to try oh, to yeah. keep it more organized. Yeah. And they're f- it started off with these are the pencils and these are the pens and <laughs> these are the markers. Yeah. And now it's just a, an array of things that are mixed up Writing and most utensils. of them don't work. Yeah, so you, you pull out yeah. six and things in a row do, and yeah. finally get one that works. And the thing is, that's when I should throw away the one that yeah. doesn't work. But what do you do? Oh, you throw you it back throw in and pull another one out. Ryan. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I know. That's I know why we're all called, doing this weekend. That's why it's our called, junk drawers. Well, because a that junk. pen could potentially still have life in it. So you don't want to throw it away because you just have to spend a little bit of time. But you just don't have time right now. You don't have time right, 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 right now. So maybe later. Yeah. Never.
Never. Well, this has been entertaining, guys. This has been it's this good. has been good. It was it was fascinating to have the the debate here in Milwaukee, and obviously, it's just the the very tip oh, the of the tip. iceberg of the things yeah. that are come with the Republican National Convention coming uh, in twenty twenty four. Um, thank you for being on the podcast, Jason. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. I know you had a long day yesterday, so we appreciate you uh, coming on. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss for open record, an issue you think we should investigate for Fox Six News, send us an email to Fox Six Investigators at fox.com as always thank you to the people who make this podcast possible our executive producer sarah smith kale zimney who's often enjoying some time away and of course today our editor and video switcher operator dave machuda with that i'm brian polson we'll be back next week